Welcome to Schoolhouse Equity in Education. This is Allison R. Brown. I am your host. We are talking today about the Black church and justice movements. In the history of this nation, Black communities have taken refuge in the church. The Black church also has supported and fostered strategy development, community organizing, policy advocacy, and other components of movement activity in and from the church. The Black church has been a foundational source of activism for justice. Community meetings have been hosted in the Black church. Town hall meetings have been hosted in the Black church. Other meetings where NAACP, Legal Defense and Educational Fund lawyers actually came together with community to craft the Brown versus Board of Education legal strategy. Today, things are different, even as they are the same. And on this episode of Schoolhouse, we'll talk about the history and the today. I am honored to welcome to the show the Reverend Dr. Delman Coates, Senior Pastor of Mount Enon Baptist Church in Clinton, Maryland, one of the fastest growing congregations in the United States. Dr. Coates received his Bachelor of Arts degree in religion from Morehouse College, his Master of Divinity from Harvard Divinity School, his Master of Philosophy and Religion from Columbia University. Dr. Coates is also the president of the Black Church Center for Justice and Equality. Welcome to Schoolhouse, Dr. Coates. Thank you so much, Allison. Glad to be on. Thank you so much for being here. Mm -hmm. So, you know, first I want to talk to you about the Black Church Center for Justice and Equality. Yes. What is that? Well, three years ago, I was led to create a public policy advocacy group for progressive uh, Black churches and clergy leaders. It was my sense that um, the popular expressions of Christianity and African-American Christianity in particular had departed from the black church tradition of freedom fighting. Hmm. And by popular tradition expressions, I mean, when people think about the primary voices on television, radio, mm-hmm. um, magazines, things of this nature. And so my sense was we needed to do more to sort of reclaim and popularize the tradition of African-American religious expression that gave us the uh, abolition of slavery, Mm -hmm. uh, certainly in conjunction with others, um, the end of segregation, Mm -hmm. and so many other freedom movements in America, and that we really needed to reclaim that work and really to do more more to resource local churches and pastors committed to public engagement, Mm -hmm. and to really raise the profile of progressive men and women of faith Mm -hmm. who are committed to issues of equality, justice, and fairness, and who have been on the front lines of freedom fighting. Mm -hmm. That was really important to me because in the uh, recent moment, people have begun to equate a congregation of blacks with the black church. Mm -hmm. See, there's a difference between a church of blacks and the black church. Mm -hmm. The black church is a reference to that subset of African-American religious expression that has been on the side of the fight for freedom, justice, and equality. Mm -hmm. So you can have a church of blacks that are not committed to that tradition. Mm -hmm. And many of of those voices are the ones that have become popularized in the contemporary moment. We needed to do more in my mind to raise the profile of uh, clergy leaders, people of faith, and really people in the pews as well, because the black church is not reducible to this guy oftentimes Uh, behind a podium Mm -hmm. with the microphone. Mm -hmm. The power of the black church Mm -hmm. is in the pews. And so uh, the Black Church Center for Justice and Equality is envisioned to be that kind of vehicle for change and transformation Mm -hmm. in the spiritual marketplace today. 
So you mentioned that that distance between freedom fighting and black churches today that you mm. had observed mm-hmm. was happening. Yes. Where did that come from? What happened? Well, I think the reality is there's always been, um, you know, religion meets a variety of needs. Mm-hmm. There are phenomenological needs, issues of personal piety. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so religion sort of speaks to the individual. Mm-hmm. That's always been there, you know, uh, historically present. It'll be that way in the future. Yeah. And then there's this other expression that's committed to community and the broader context in mm-hmm. which individuals live. Well, over the course of time, those expressions that primarily focus on the individual are the ones that get popularized, particularly in an oppressive culture. Hmm. I mean, think about how Africans were indoctrinated into the Christian religion by white missionaries, Mm -hmm. in which there was an emphasis on soul salvation to the exclusion of the bodies and the communities Mm -hmm. and the society in which those souls live, right? I mean, if you go to Ghana, Today, when you go to the slave castles in Ghana, you know that right above the slave dungeons are chapels. That's right. Right. And so, and how does this happen? Mm -hmm. Well, people can, you know, the the, the dominant expressions of religion, of slave religion, as Albert J. Rabideau talks about, um, focuses on the freedom of the soul to the exclusion of the body in which those Mm. souls live. And I think this is what has happened in American society today. Well, and, you know, I saw a lecture that you gave about really kind of growing toward a Christian progressive ideal. And I wonder if you would just say a little bit about how we have gotten to the point where Mm -hmm. Christianity and kind of fundamentalism in Christianity Mm. has been associated almost exclusively with conservative ideals and mm-hmm. where where was that shift and how do we and it, I think the point that you just made about the the slave religion is connected to the soul sure. and divorced from the body yeah. has something yeah. there's something in there wow an incredibly powerful question Allison and it is really unfortunate that we have to define this reclamation movement as progressive because mm-hmm. really I would say it's the classical variety of Um, the expression of Christian religion. Mm -hmm. Think about how Jesus announces his ministry in Luke 4, 18 through 22, Mm -hmm. where he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, Mm -hmm. to set the captives free, you know, to liberate the oppressed, right? Mm -hmm. So when we look at the, you know, the foundation of the movement of Jesus, it is about speaking truth to power. It is about oppression. So it's unfortunate Mm -hmm. that we have to cast you know, this movement as progressive as something other than, because I would claim Mm -hmm. that this uh, expression is decidedly foundational, fundamental, Mm -hmm. not fundamentalist, Mm -hmm. but fundamental and uh, classical to the foundational expression of Christianity. So how did this happen? Mm -hmm. Well, many of your listeners are probably familiar with the Enlightenment Mm -hmm. and the scientific revolution Mm -hmm. that happens in Europe you know, in the, you know, 15th, 16th, 17th centuries. What's happening then are scientists are developing categories of truth that were challenging the church. Mm -hmm. The church believed that the earth was flat, Mm -hmm. that the earth was the center of the universe Mm -hmm. and had a range of other theological 
notions that mm-hmm. scientists were coming along and dispelling mm-hmm. and were proving to be false. Well, in response to the scientific methodology and these epistemological categories for knowledge that were being developed by scientists, people of faith responded to that by saying, our religion, our faith is true, Mm. it is real, and we're going to subordinate our faith to these categories of truth. So if truth is something that is observable, repeatable, you know, something that is objective, Mm -hmm. then religion is going to, Christianity is going to be something that's observable, repeatable, Mm. verifiable. So hence, they make a radical shift Mm. in the departure of Christian expression from their early church, where they begin to say the Bible is literal, historical, Mm. scientific. So when you read the stories of the Bible, yeah. in order for them to be true, they have to be literally true. Yes. They have to be historically true. Right. They have to be verifiable. This spawns over time mm-hmm. movements like biblical archaeology. Mm-hmm. Because in order for the story of Noah's Ark to be true, we have to actually find it. Mm. In order for the story, you know, the we have range to find of the story, Ark, we have, find, we have to go get yes, it. Yes, we have to get it. Yes. You know, that proves the story. Yeah. But in antiquity, mm-hmm. categories of truth are not subordinated to these notions. These are very modern scientific ideas. Mm-hmm. The notion of literalism, mm-hmm. science, mm-hmm. objectivity. Um, you will have many early church fathers, people like Origen of Alexandria, mm-hmm. who gives the church the language that the scriptures are divinely inspired in the third century. He's an African church father, one of the leading patristic fathers of the church, mm-hmm. people like Augustine, who talks about there are many levels of meaning in the scripture. Mm-hmm. And the literal narrative level is the most insignificant mm-hmm. one. It's abstractable. It's the, yeah, it's the deeper spiritual meaning that is divinely inspired. Uh-huh. Actually, fundamentalism, I would contend, is a secular discourse. Mm-hmm. It's very recent, last two or three hundred years. Mm-hmm. It is a reaction to science It is a reaction to the enlightenment Mm -hmm. of perhaps well-intentioned Christians Mm -hmm. at the time subordinating the faith of the church Mm -hmm. to these categories of science. And so unfortunately, we have this environment today in which people believe that we have to compete for interpretations, Mm -hmm. that, you know, there's only one reading, uh, one narrative one story. And so we have to compete against other religions for truth in antiquity is radically different Mm. than how we imagine it today. Mm -hmm. And so this is unfortunate that what we're seeing, we see fundamentalisms, not just in Christianity, but Mm -hmm. we see the danger of it across the board. We do have similar collateral consequences of fundamentalism in America that, thank God, have not resulted in the kinds of things we see in other expressions, but it's deeply flawed, Mm -hmm. deeply problematic Mm -hmm. on so many levels. So I would contend that fundamentalism is is a very modern, secular discourse. I've written about this in a book entitled Blow the Trumpets of Zion. It's an article I've written in there entitled, oh boy, it's something about reclaiming the Bible from fundamentalism and things of this nature. Mm-hmm. I heard uh, something interesting earlier. There was a speaker on the radio was talking about mm-hmm. fundamentalism okay. in religion and was talking about how as American society has grown further and further from religion, mm-hmm. they are growing closer and closer to 
nationalism. There's still this human need for some connection to something bigger than yourself. And what we see manifest today politically is that connection is to this notion of the United States as a mainstay of white fundamental cultural existence. Do you agree with that premise? Yeah, there's a very incredible book. It's entitled Racializing Jesus by Sean Kelly. Hmm. It's talking about the way in which historicized discourses are connected with nationalisms. Mm -hmm. So uh, Sean Kelly is talking about the way in which the historical critical study of religion, and you tell me, Allison, if I'm going too far afield, but he talks Mm -hmm. about the way in which historical criticism, this notion of there being an original Jesus Mm -hmm. is about Aryan nationalism, this desire to create this perfect Aryan Jesus. Mm. And so historical criticism, if you look at the way in which they attempt to look at the sayings of Jesus and eliminate forms of mystery Mm -hmm. to find this original Jesus Mm -hmm. is based on certain German notions of Aryan nationalism. Mm. So no, I'm not surprised that this sort of movement is happening It's one we should be decidedly concerned about and one that we really need to be on the forefront of modeling a different way. Mm -hmm. We all heard uh, or many have heard about the young girl in Northern Virginia, Muslim girl who was killed, I believe, on Sunday Mm -hmm. practicing Ramadan. 17 years old. Yes. Mm -hmm. I, I just took... 10 days ago, mm-hmm. 10 deacons from my church mm-hmm. and a few ministers to worship at the Adams Center mm-hmm. as a sign of solidarity with Imam Majid, mm-hmm. right? Because I knew it was important for me to do something that builds relationship yeah. with our fellow sisters and brothers of faith, yeah. right? In the family of faith. And it's my hope that people of concern, conscience, and conviction will look for ways to humanize people Mm -hmm. for whom this kind of fundamentalist discourse dehumanizes and almost demonizes Mm -hmm. people who are different, who Mm -hmm. who look different, who have different backgrounds, who may have different expressions. I happen to believe that God is big enough Mm -hmm. that he can handle our diversity, our complexity, and we have got to help people to understand that God is larger than the finite particular discourses and language that we use about God. Yes, yes. We could end right there, but I won't. I won't. I'm, I have so many questions. Mm-hmm. So today... I feel like preaching. I almost preached it. <laughs> I, almost, I almost got up. <laughs> so to your earlier distinction mm-hmm. between congregations of Black people... Church of Blacks. And the, and black, church. the black Church. Right. What is the role today of the black church with congregations or groups of black people who are out in the streets and protests? We just saw the verdict come down in the Philando Castile case, Terrence Crutcher case. I could go on and on and on. And black bodies are in the streets. They're Mm -hmm. protesting. And the role of the black church historically has been to provide comfort and, you know, physical rest for those who are about their protest, but also to provide education and strategy and Mm -hmm. thought leadership. 
What is the role of the black church today? What is it doing and what should it be doing? Well, we've got to continue to do all of those things. I think one of the reason the black church has been challenged mm-hmm. is we have seen the professionalization of ministry mm. in a way that we probably have not had Mm -hmm. in prior generations. Mm -hmm. So leadership tended to be younger, Mm -hmm. both in the civil rights movement as well as faith leadership. Mm -hmm. And so over the last 30, 40 years, we have seen the professionalization of ministry in which, you know, I can recall my childhood pastor, he was a public school teacher. And I recall Mm -hmm. once the church feeling as if he needed a car. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he really got a salary, Right. I'll never forget Reverend Rhodes. Uh, he was 80s, 90s. The church wanted to get him a car, mm-hmm. and he turned it down. He said no. He didn't think that was appropriate. He didn't think that was appropriate. <laughs> yeah, he says, "Well, I have a job over here. I, I'm a teacher." Mm-hmm. Well, I can't imagine my colleagues and myself included, perhaps, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. turning down, you know, uh, this kind of thing. Yeah. And so, because of this, mm-hmm. we have seen, and I'm potentially a compromise. Mm-hmm that's happening in the churches with leadership Mm -hmm. in which there's a great concern about how will this action impact Mm -hmm. my well-being, my lifestyle, my ability to provide for my wife and Mm -hmm. children, things Mm -hmm. of this nature. So there's a great kind of calculation that has taken place with leaders. And so because of that, we're not out there in the streets like we need to be. You know, when I'm leading buses and vans to Baltimore to protest around the Freddie Gray issue. It can be a challenge at times mm-hmm. to get, you know, other leaders to join in or to go down to Annapolis to raise concern about pay for state workers mm-hmm. because the mission of ministry is becoming so narrowly defined mm-hmm. and construed where many leaders don't see the connection between what's happening in the streets and what's happening with the people they serve. This Mm -hmm. is a mistake. Mm -hmm. It's a mistake historically because this idea that mega churches are only committed to personal piety is wrong. Mm -hmm. Think about the Amy McPhersons, the Wyatt Walkers, Mm -hmm. the Gardner Taylors, the William Augustus Jones, Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. Dr. Harry Wright, Martin Luther King Jr., so many who were committed to social justice ministry, the social gospel, and it had rather significant, you know, congregations, Mm -hmm. Uh, William Holmes Borders and others. These were sort of models for me and examples for me uh, as I matriculated through Morehouse and helped me to understand that the people in the pews are looking for someone who can connect faith to care for the body, Mm -hmm. health, wellness, Mm -hmm. economics, community, education, things of this nature. And so, and today the young people are looking for it. Yeah. I'm not one who sort of thinks that the church ought to take over mm-hmm. like Black Lives Matter or mm-hmm. things of this nature. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I mean, I, I think we need to be involved. We need we have a role to play. But I just think it's wonderful to see the kind of unrestrained activism that mm-hmm. we're seeing from millennials today. And we've got to figure out how to provide space. Mm-hmm. I mean, in one interpretation, that is the black church. Mm-hmm. Because the church is not about a building. Right. It's not about institution. You know, and so in one interpretation, the work of millennials mm-hmm. who may or may not be connected with institutional religion, this is the legacy and the heritage of the black church. Mm-hmm. So 
Mm-hmm. I'm one who thinks that the black church is not dead. Mm-hmm. I believe the black church is alive and we need to do more to profile her work and those who are involved in that legacy. Well, through the Black Church Center for Justice and Equality, you have several kind of policy pillars, education being one of those things. How do you intend to, or how are you doing that through the Black Church Center? Well, we are at the very front end of developing a policy agenda for the Black Church. One of the rubrics that we want to focus on is education Mm -hmm. and thinking through how we strengthen education in our community, in particular public education. So the reason developing an agenda is so critical, Allison, is because everyone talks about the power of the black church, Mm -hmm. the power of African-American churches Mm -hmm. and how politicians come to court, you know, clergy leaders and members in the church during election time. Mm -hmm. But the problem is if we never have an agenda to put on the table, there's really no ask. There's no quid pro quo. And so our votes do get taken for granted. And I don't think that's always the fault of the politician. Mm -hmm. Other stakeholders in America, they have an agenda. We don't. Mm -hmm. We may have broad issues of concern, but we need specific legislative priorities. And so we're in the midst of developing, you know, a policy agenda for the black church. It's not complete. That work, you know, is still on the front end. But Mm -hmm. one thing that we are doing And one thing that I'm doing, I'm really committed to it in a very profound way, is I'm working on an economic justice campaign Mm -hmm. that really shifts the conversation around where we get the funding for education. Mm -hmm. Right now, uh, progressives in particular, but people in general, look to tax revenue as the base for funding for education. Yes. And I understand this. But we've got to really understand the monetary system within which we live in America. See, Mm -hmm. it's the money system, the way in which money is controlled Mm -hmm. and created and issued in society that determines whether there'll be sufficient money to fund roads, schools, jobs, and infrastructure, healthcare, things of this nature. And perpetuate segregation. All of these things. And crumbling facilities in in low-income and black and brown neighborhoods. I was on a conversation late last night with a clergy leader in Atlanta talking about West End Atlanta, where the Atlanta University Center Mm -hmm. uh, is located, Spelman, Morris Brown, Clark Atlanta, Morehouse, Mm -hmm. Interdenominational Theological Center. And he mentioned that West End was being gentrified. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I said, no way. <laughs> I said, no. I said, yeah. Uh-huh. You wouldn't recognize it. And I said, no way. It's impossible. As well, we're sitting here in Southeast D.C. In Southeast D.C. with the same thing yeah. happening all around us. Every right. city in America, the gentrification. Mm-hmm. Well, what's underneath it? That's right. Now, progressives, we have got to move from a focus on derivative crimes, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. Dr. King talked about, yes. to causative crimes crimes. Yes. What's not the collateral consequence? What's the root cause? Yes. And I would contend the way in which money is issued, controlled by private banks as a debt Mm -hmm. is the foundational causative mechanism that creates economic injustice Mm -hmm. in society. And I want to say this to those who are listening. Mm -hmm. Why is the debt-based money system such a problem? Mm -hmm. The reason it's a problem is because when banks issue money, or really credit, because mm-hmm. most of the what we use as money is really credit. That's right. When municipalities issue bonds, the federal government issues treasury bonds, mm-hmm. you and I, when we purchase things, you use credit, mm-hmm. right? You mm-hmm. get a house on credit. Yep. Well, 
Why is debt-based money a problem? Well, banks issue the principal amount of money, but not the interest portion of mm-hmm. money. That's right. Okay? Yes. So imagine 10 people in a hypothetical community that are each issued $1,000 of credit uh-huh. that they have to pay back to me, the banker, at some arbitrary interest rate, let's say 10%. Yes. The problem that that creates economically is a mathematical one. Mm-hmm. There's $10,000 in circulation, 10 people, $1,000 each, yep. but they owe $11,000. Right. That interest portion of money does not exist. Mm. It's not in the money supply. There's no amount of education, legislation, preparation, Mm -hmm. innovation, dedication, or prayer (laughs) that can account for money scarcity. Mm -hmm. The only way that debt-based money system can be sustained is by the infusion of more borrowing, more stimulus, and like any stimulant, yeah. initially you get a buzz. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you have a beer, you're going to get an initial buzz, I suppose, from what I heard. Mm-hmm. But the next day, when you first gonna, get that thousand yeah, dollar check. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, sure. sh- it works. Yes. Uh, but the next day, there's a hangover. Yeah. You know, when you ex- realize what you owe. When we experienced this recently with uh, President Obama, his policies saved us from this great recession. Right. After 2008. But at what expense? We had yeah. to borrow twelve trillion dollars. Mm-hmm. The national debt went from eight trillion when he started to twenty trillion now. Mm. The infusion of more borrowing doesn't address the problem. It kicks the can down the road, yeah. creates the unwanted tax of inflation. Okay. And well, who feels that most? We do poor people. That's right. Think about this. The average American works forty hours a week if mm-hmm. they have a full time job. Mm-hmm. And others work 60 hours a week mm-hmm. to pay interest mm-hmm. on a mortgage, car a car note, note school, school loan, mm-hmm. and a credit card from yeah. a department store. Yeah. Right? We work. Your mortgage payment is interest. Mm-hmm. Your car note, interest. Yep. Your credit cards, interest. Mm-hmm. Right? We are slaves to interest. Mm-hmm. Municipalities, the same way. Mm-hmm. The revenue that comes in from municipalities yeah. to the federal government is paying interest. Yeah. Half a trillion dollars every year the federal government pays on just interest. Now, just imagine if money is issued by the government and not by private banks. Mm -hmm. If the government issues its own money without interest, rather than taxing the public and paying half a trillion dollars to private banks Mm -hmm. who are receiving an unearned economic benefit on credit that they did not have before. Mm. When you get a mortgage, the bank is not taking that money from a vault Mm -hmm. and loaning it to you. Mm -hmm. It's a digital entry into a computer. It's not real money. It's not real money. That's right. Think about this, Alice. I want you to get what I... You go into 30 years of economic bondage to a a guy. It's not... It's a a falsehood. Exactly. There's nothing real. Nothing real. And so we need a movement that is designed to educate... If we want to fix education, healthcare, the environment... Social Security, mm-hmm. the money is there. Mm-hmm. The money is just being is flowing to the top. We need a monetary reform movement. And on April the 4th of 2018, I'm starting a campaign called The New Abolitionism, mm. right? Mm-hmm. It's going to be that entire week that starts that Wednesday. It's the 50th anniversary of Dr. King's assassination, assassination where he was really focused on poor people, economic justice. If you listen to that last speech, uh, the mountaintop speech, Mm -hmm. I've been to the mountaintop. We all focus on the mountaintop portion of the speech. But the middle portion of the speech Mm -hmm. is perhaps the most salient. The debt America He's talking about the money. Yes. He's talking about we need to have a bank in. And he's he's in the black church. Telling black people America owes you. Sorry, I'm 
going on here, but we need a kind of revolution. No, no, no. And I, so I want you to take, tell me how this theory mm -hmm. for a Philadelphia public school system yeah. that has been Decimated. broken and starved right. to the point where children are running from rodents in the classroom. Yeah. And the boilers are exploding in elementary schools mm -hmm. in Philadelphia. Yeah. And you have an infusion of resources for school resource officers, security guards, yeah. others who are brutalizing black and brown children in the school. Criminalizing them. Criminalizing them and brutalizing them. And yeah. these children don't have books. Yeah. So how does what you just shared actually yeah. translate into, name the city, Chicago, mm -hmm. Philadelphia, Detroit, yes. whatever it is, where black and brown children are concentrated mm -hmm. and are suffering in their schools. Money reform is about providing sufficient resources mm -hmm. to do whatever we need in society. Mm -hmm. Money is the asset of the people. It is merely a medium of exchange. Mm -hmm. It is not the asset of private financial institutions. Mm -hmm. It is a travesty in a free pluralistic society that we have schools like this in 2017, in 2017 yeah. where they haven't been renovated in 40 years, um, where there's rust in the water fountains. Mm -hmm. It's a travesty. Well, you know, all of the issues we care about, Allison, whether mm -hmm. it's fixing the environment, whether you're in Philadelphia, Prince George's County and concerned about public schools, or whether you're on the Eastern Shore in the Chesapeake Bay and mm -hmm. want to save the Maryland crab. <laughs> it takes money to do that. That's right. It's a very basic foundational issue. Mm -hmm. And the question is, will the resources, will the prosperity of the American people mm -hmm. go to private bankers mm -hmm. or will they go to the government of the people? Mm -hmm. Because it's going to take money mm -hmm. to fix that school. And these, in my mind, are deeply national problems mm -hmm. of a national nature. Mm -hmm. And we need a mass movement of citizens who are educating themselves about the money system. Mm -hmm. Because money reform is not about socialism. Mm -hmm. The current system we have is deeply a rigged capitalist system. Mm -hmm. It's not about establishing a ceiling, as in many socialist ideologies. It's about raising the floor. Mm -hmm. There's no reason. We have sufficient money for everything in mm -hmm. this society. Mm -hmm. The illusion is that your state legislatures and that your city has to argue and debate whether we have enough money to fix these schools. Right. The money is there. Mm -hmm. They're just going to the leading private banks that have been given a monopoly by Congress on the control and issuance of mm -hmm. the nation's money. Mm -hmm. I just wrote a, an article in the Huffington Post on Palm Sunday. Mm -hmm. It's called Jesus and the Money System. I would encourage listeners to read it. Mm -hmm. I believe the act that caused Jesus to be uh, crucified is overturning the tables of the money changers. Mm -hmm. Think about what money changers were doing. They had developed a monopoly on the issuance of the temple currency or mm -hmm. coin or mm -hmm. shekel. In order to worship in the Jerusalem temple, you could not use your drachma from mm -hmm. uh, Rome or, or where or Greece rather. You know, you couldn't use your local currency if you were coming into town. Right. If you wanted to worship, if you wanted to praise God, mm -hmm. you had to use the temple money dollar, uh -huh. the temple coin. Uh -huh. You know? Well, the money changers had developed a monopoly mm -hmm. on the issuance of the temple shekel. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so you would pay your local money to then convert then, to... Yeah. And then you could use that to go get the lambs and the doves to offer as sacrifice. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So you could not buy the lambs or the doves with, with your, your pagan money right? <laughs> with the image of Caesar on it. Mm -hmm. You have to get the temple shekel, mm -hmm. the half shekel, and then you can go 
and give mm-hmm. and, and, and buy the doves. Mm-hmm. Well, people ended up leaving the Passover in more debt than they had when they came. Mm-hmm. When Jesus overturns the table of the money changers, this is not a critique of commerce. Mm-hmm. It's not because there was a bookstore in the church. Right. No, this is not it. it Everyone was, should have it access was a to that bookstore. Mm-hmm, of the unjust manipulation of money. Mm-hmm. The major religions of the world have had a historic critique on macro usury, mm-hmm. which is the unjust manipulation of money. Usury is not excessive interest. If you ask someone today, mm-hmm. what's usury? They'll say, Excessive interest. Mm -hmm. This was a ploy used by Jeremy Bentham and others to convince the Catholic Church Mm -hmm. to give up its historic position on usury. Usury is sin. It said, well, let's define usury as excessive interest so that it started the church getting comfortable with some, Some. Mm -hmm. you know. And and then this was just focused on micro usury, how if I charge my brother next to me, you know, too much. No, macro usury is the unjust manipulation of money. And how has your work around economic justice, and you mentioned building solidarity and showing up for Muslim brothers and sisters earlier. How has that alliance and that building of partnership actually captured exactly what you're talking about? But also, how have you been able to get your congregation mm-hmm. there with you on solidarity. Throughout my ministry, I've attempted to model inclusion. Mm-hmm. So I didn't walk in the door doing this. I mean, I came to pastor a traditional Black Baptist church. Mm-hmm. I mean, our church was as traditional as you can consider, mm-hmm. right, in a range of areas. But modeling inclusion in other small areas enabled me to provide leadership on LGBT rights, mm-hmm. right? At a time when most people thought I had committed professional suicide. Right. knew I was crazy. Right. And in you have been a real leader in yeah. this community yeah. on inclusion right. of LGBT people. I've tried. And I think by being in community with people, I think this is important too, because many progressives talk about the church, mm-hmm. but they're not in the church. Mm-hmm. I love the black church. Mm-hmm. I love African-American churches. Mm-hmm. I was born in the church. I believe that it is the black church that has and will continue to be the institution that will redeem the soul of America. Mm. I love her. Mm-hmm. I am committed to her. Mm-hmm. I am devoted to making her better. And I think that my organic connection with the institution is going to be what it takes to make her better. And so I encourage well-intentioned progressives to, you know, who are so inclined to get involved in the institution. I think it's it's my connection to to the black church that's sort of given credence to that. And you know, when I saw 10 of my deacons join me to go to the Adam Center, the All Dulles Area Muslim Society worship service, mm. Juma prayer two Sundays ago, and our ministers I cannot tell you how much that meant to me, Mm -hmm. you know, to see Mm -hmm. men who are, you know, 70 plus, Mm -hmm. late six, you know, Mm -hmm. who come from a totally different generation, you know, voluntarily go with their pastor Mm -hmm. to worship with our Muslim sisters and brothers there. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. So I just think Mm -hmm. by modeling a ministry of inclusion, compassion. And see, I think we have to do it in a way in which I don't impose my beliefs on others. Mm -hmm. When I came out in support of marriage equality, I didn't tell folks that they had to lose their religious beliefs. As a Baptist, I believe that everyone deserves 
the right to their own religious beliefs and expressions. I believe in freedom of and from religion. The mm -hmm. last thing I would do is try to impose my thoughts on someone else. Mm -hmm. I think this really helped you know, yeah. individuals to, I want to affirm where, where we are. We can have diversity within our unity. We can have unity without uniformity. Mm -hmm. And I think this has helped us mm -hmm. as a congregation to move forward. Well, Dr. Coates, I have to say, I could talk to you all day long. Mm. <laughs> so, you're so full of information. I will say that I appreciate the work that you do. I appreciate the, the way in which you go about doing it. Mm. I think that making the economic connection is so vital. It's important, absolutely, to focus on racial justice. But if we're not making those economic connections, yeah. we'll get lost in rhetoric. We won't actually be able to advance mm -hmm. the ball. So I think that's that's critical. What can folks expect April 4th, 2018? Um, April 4th is going to be a major kickoff. Uh, it's going to have a plenary address, which I probably will have. We're going to have representatives from labor, mm -hmm. several faith institutions that Tuesday night is just going to be an opening town hall expression. Mm -hmm. Thursday and Friday is going to be where the work is going to take place. Mm -hmm. We're going to have uh, a variety of working groups. Uh, we want individuals starting chapters around the country. Mm -hmm. It's really going to be focused on educating the public. I'm working on a book now. We're working on a film, a mm -hmm. short film mm -hmm. for people to watch around the country. We know that this is a long-term issue, but it's got to start with education. The transformation is going to start with education. It's still kind of early, so we haven't mapped everything out yet, Allison. We're going to walk from a march or rally from the MLK Memorial mm -hmm to the Federal Reserve Building. Mm, mm -hmm. And then we're going to go from the Federal Reserve Building over to the Treasury mm -hmm. Department. And if you if you sort of know that trail, that trajectory, there's a plaque there about the Freedom Bank hmm. that existed in the country. So we'll kind of just do this to kind of mark the connection between civil rights and silver rights. Mm. Silver, silver. Silver rights. Civil rights and silver <laughs> rights, right? Yeah. Between... Um, you know, civil rights and really getting this money right, mm -hmm. you know, because I really believe that, like King said, what what good is it to have the right to sit at a, the counter at a diner and you can't afford- and you can't pay for dinner. The hamburger. Right. We've got to get the money right. Yes. Think about what I talked about earlier about the debt-based money system. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's almost like musical chairs where there's not enough chairs for the number of people in the game. Mm -hmm. In that kind of environment, you need a discourse of difference to determine- who's going to get access to mm. the seats. And I would contend that discourses of difference around race, gender, sexual orientation, religion, country of origin, these become discourses of difference in a debt-based money system. And we've got to have a money system where there's sufficiency. Musical chairs is a great game mm -hmm. until you don't have a seat. Right. When that music stops, people push, mm -hmm. they shove, mm -hmm. they do some very interesting things. <laughs> This is why what, stay in the this game. is why what we're seeing at a broader level, systemic level in our society, if we want to fix gentrification, if we want to fix those public schools in Philadelphia, mm -hmm. if we want to rebuild America for all people, we have to have a money system based on sufficiency. We cannot have a just society without a just money system. I have um, a couple of hashtags coming out of this discourse of difference mm -hmm. and macro usury. Thank you very much. <laughs> The Reverend Dr. Delman Coates is the senior pastor at Mount Enon Baptist Church in Clinton, Maryland. If folks want to find you online, what's the best way for them to do Folks that? can follow me on social media. I am Delman Coates on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 
And certainly our services are online, live every Sunday, on demand at mountenon.org, M-T-E-N-N-O-N.org. The Black Church Center's website is theblackchurch.org. Thank you so much. Thank you. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for being on Schoolhouse. And thank you to everyone for listening in. Remember to follow me at Allison R. Brown on Twitter. Sign up for the Communities for Just Schools Fund newsletter at cjsfund.org. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful week.